Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is Abby Johnson. She holds a B.S. in psychology from Texas A&M University, a master's degree in counseling from Sam Houston State University, and she uh, has written a remarkable book. It begins with this line, My story is not a comfortable one to read. The name of the book is Unplanned, and is published by Tyndale House in connection with Focus on the Family. Abby, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, your book begins with an event that changed really everything for you. And I wonder if you would tell us about what happened on that day in September 2009. Sure. Um, I was an abortion clinic director. Um, I ran a Planned Parenthood facility and was asked to, I worked there for eight years, and I was asked on September 26th of 2009 to assist in a live ultrasound-guided abortion procedure. Um, This is not a typical type of abortion that takes place inside of the industry. Most abortion procedures are done in a blind fashion where the ultrasound is not actually used during the abortion. But we had a visiting physician come in that day from out of town, and he wanted to show me what this looked like um, to, to kind of use it as a teaching tool. And so um, I was there and was holding the uh, ultrasound probe on the woman's abdomen. We did the measurement. The child was 13 weeks. Um, and I watched in horror as this 13-week-old child um, flee for his life. He was flailing his arms and legs and was trying to move away from the abortion instrument. And it was shocking to me. I mean, just, just what I was seeing, of course, was shocking. But it was primarily shocking for me because I had been told by Planned Parenthood for all of those years that the fetus did not feel anything until 28 weeks gestation. And so to see this tiny 13-week-old child fighting for his life, um, it was terrifying because I realized that not only had I been lied to by Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry, but I had been in turn lied to thousands of women who had come to me looking for answers and and I, I had given them something that was untrue. Mm. Now, so you were watching this actually on a sonogram, right? Right. And I want to come back to that question because it seems to me the sonogram, in a way, has added a new component to the whole abortion debate in our country. I remember when my my son was born, he's about 32 now, their sonograms were not being used where we lived. But when my daughter was born just a couple of years later, uh, we could see her before she was born. And what a tremendous experience that was for me. But the fact that we can now see things as well as hear and learn and know about them, I think has raised the consciousness of a lot of people, especially younger people. Absolutely. And we see that there are um, 
there's such a high percentage of women who will choose life if they see their their baby on an ultrasound. Mm. Um, I think the national statistic is that 90% of women who are able to visualize their baby on a sonogram and see their baby and hear that heartbeat will choose life for their children. And, and what's even more interesting is that 95% of men uh, will choose life for their children um, if they can see them on the ultrasound. Isn't that so the ultrasound is a very powerful tool, and it really exposes the lie of the abortion industry. Yeah. Now, I want to come back to this event that was so, uh, in a way, life-changing for you. Uh, but uh, tell us how you first got involved with Planned Parenthood when you were a college student, I guess, in Texas, right? I was basically at a volunteer fair one day on campus, and I saw uh, a Planned Parenthood booth there. I did not know much about Planned Parenthood, so, you know, the lady just kind of asked me, you know, what did I know and what did I think they did, and I, I really didn't have any idea, and so... She started telling me that Planned Parenthood provides all of these amazing services to low-income men and women who would not have health care without them. And I thought, wow, that, that sounds really great. And she told me that they did provide abortion services, but it was a very small part of what they did. And, you know, if we didn't have legal abortion, then women would be going to back alley clinics and be very unsafe. And that did not sound good to me. And so as someone who, I mean, I can say that I was raised a life. I remember in high school saying, you know, yes, I believe abortion is wrong. Um, and I was raised in a Christian home, but, you know, we didn't sit around the dinner table and talk about abortion. We didn't talk about that. We were not my parents were not active in the pro-life movement, so it just wasn't something that I was very familiar with and certainly didn't know how to have a conversation with the opposite side, yeah. you know, about yeah. different talking points, things like that. So I was very ill-equipped, and that's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for people that do not know much about their organization so that they can get them in and get them kind of invested in what they're doing and and to really show the pro-life side as the enemy. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was very naive, didn't know much about them, and just was was really hooked in from the beginning. Now, you eventually became the director of this facility in Houston, right? I did. Um, I was there for eight years. I was director for a little over two years. So you oversaw the entire operation from an administrative standpoint and I assume was able to see things both from the standpoint of the, so so to say, the the users who came to the clinic and also from the organization that you represented there. Right. And I, I really, I mean, once I became, you know, got into upper management, there were some things that bothered me. Um, I, you know, I was able to kind of justify them and, you know, why we were doing things. But I remember one in particular time was sitting with my supervisor and we were going over my budget for the upcoming year. And I noticed that my quota for abortions, every, every abortion clinic has a quota of abortions that they must sell to women coming in. And I had noticed that my quota from one year to the next had actually doubled. And I really thought that was bizarre because I believe that we at Planned Parenthood were 
trying to reduce the number of abortions. And so that was surprising to me. But during that meeting, she told me, you know, well, we don't want to reduce the number of abortions because that's where the money is. That was really bothersome for me because I had not believed, I had heard that people, you know, I heard pro-lifers say, you know, don't you know they're just in this for the money? And I had heard that, but I didn't really believe it um, until I sat down in that meeting. And I really, that was on my mind. I mean, things had just kind of been coming out to me. And I'm not sure, you know, in the beginning I kind of thought, uh is it that the organization is changing or am I really just seeing what's kind of been in front of my face the whole time that I refuse to look at? And I think it was really that. I don't think it's that the organization has changed. I think that I was just finally up in a management position high enough where I was really seeing You were their aware role. of it, yeah. But now who makes up these quotas? Who, who gives a certain facility a quota? And on what basis is that uh, number, I guess, chosen? Um, you know, the... The quotas, the budgets, it's all, it all comes from the management that was a step ahead of me. And they basically look at demographics. They look at the amount of abortions that were performed in the previous years. And they just, you know, a lot of it is, is also, we, we had implemented a training program on basically how to sell abortion to a woman that was coming in. And so they kind of look at, you know, how invested your staff is in the abortion process and are they going to be able to be good sellers? Um, you know, I mean, they see it as a product. That's the main way that they look at it. Well, I want to take you back now to that situation where you were looking at the sonogram and you were actually witnessing live and in person the struggling of a preborn human baby to survive the instrument of torture and uh, uh, death that were being imposed up upon this person. That obviously has, as you were saying, a traumatic effect on you. Take us to the next steps in your life and really what led you to leave this and what steps did you take to leave? Well, it took me about a week to really, I mean, I was really wrestling with a lot of things. I mean, just, I think the feeling of being duped by this industry, but also just my blindfold ignorance of what was really going on right in front of my face. I knew that I was going to have to leave and tell every, I mean, all of my family, they were all pro-life. You know, a lot of my friends were pro-life. And, and then here I was kind of this oddball this odd man out, and I and they had talked to me about it. You know, they had told me, Abby, don't you see this is wrong? You know, all these things. And I knew that if I left, I was basically going to be looking at them and saying, you were right, and I was wrong. And, you know, I didn't know if I had the guts to do that in the very beginning. I didn't know if I possessed that type of humility. And But finally, after after being there a week, um, after seeing that, that abortion, that live abortion, I just couldn't do it anymore, and I would be physically ill going to work. I just, I knew that I was involved in something very evil, and I knew I had to get out, and it was scary because uh, my husband at the time was a teacher, and so he certainly, you know, had limited income. I mean, I was the primary income of our family, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, how do I just leave this? How... How do I trust God? I've been so far away from him for so long. You know, how do I trust that he's going to provide for me and my family? Um, but I did. I just, I talked to my husband and, you know, we prayed about it and 
Uh, I felt like for the first time in many years, I was actually, you know, reestablishing my relationship with Christ and doing my best to, to follow His will for my life. And I just made the decision that I had to leave. And so I walked in one day and gathered all of my things and um, walked out and never went back. Now, Abby, you talk about uh, the people who were sort of on the other side of the fence, the protesters, the abortion clinic counselors, those who wait sometimes in prayer and vigil. Uh, at Talk about those people and how you saw them before this event and after this event. I'm not going to say that I had a lot of love for people that were, <laughs> that were out there um, praying. I mean, I definitely saw them as a nuisance. Well, you you must have thought, you know, when, when you were the director of the facility, that they were actually there hindering your work and the good things you thought you were doing at the time, right? Absolutely. And I just, I saw them as a, a nuisance. I, I thought they were annoying. Um I really wanted them to go away, (laughs) but at the same time, I I mean, I remember telling the volunteers at Planned Parenthood, I wish that people in our movement, I wish that, you know, you as volunteers would have the same amount of perseverance and passion that they do, because, you know, I live in Texas, and it's hot, and they were out there every day in the summer heat, They, they did you know, 40 Days for Life campaigns twice a year. They're out there 24 hours a day for 40 days. You know, they were passionate. And and I think, and I see that in the pro-life movement now kind of in a different way. I mean, I understand the passion because there is a sense of urgency in our movement that's not there in the abortion movement. You know, we go out to clinics, we see women walking in, and, and we see them taking the lives of their children. And so we have to be out there. You know, but what are they doing as volunteers? I mean, they're out there to walk them into a clinic to kill their baby. I mean, that there's no sense of urgency there. And so I think that's why there's so much passion on, you know, on this side of the movement. Now, after you left this industry, the abortion industry, made this momentous decision in your life, did you ever go back to this facility or have any, you know, connection with the people there with whom you used to work? I have been back. Um, we we don't live there anymore. We moved a couple of years ago, but when I did live there, I frequently went out to sidewalk council women going into the clinics and to try to make connections with, with the people that I was once very close to and considered friends. They obviously don't want to have a lot to do with me. And I'm sure are, are told not to have any contact with me. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do go back. And, I mean, even I was recently there. My, my clinic is now shut down. My former clinic yes, is shut down. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was there on the last day that they saw clients. It was It was a feeling I can't even explain. I mean, just watching that big iron gate close over the driveway for the last time and knowing that women would never – go back into that clinic to take the lives of their children was, was really amazing. Now, what is so significant about this closure? I mean, it's happened to a number of abortion clinics, including some here in Alabama uh, and really around the country. But what was really so significant about the closure of the one where you work? My clinic was the first site of 40 Days for Life. It's where 40 Days for Life was birthed. Um, it was where the first campaign took place in 2004. So it's it was really it was really significant to know that the birthplace of this movement that is now international, um, you know, an international grassroots movement, knowing that 
where that started is closed down is um, is really special. We're, of course, joyful anytime an abortion clinic closes or a Planned Parenthood closes, but to see how God has used 40 Days for Life and to know that that clinic now where it started is closed is really amazing. The Bible says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And it sounds to me like this is a site of real redemption taking place in that community. Uh, for our listeners, Abby, who may not be familiar with 40 Days for Life, tell us a little bit about what that is and how it works and how people get involved with it. Sure. Um, 40 Days for Life is a grassroots campaign. It's all locally led. Um, it is 40 days of prayer, holding vigil outside of abortion clinics, and fasting. And you know, honestly, until I got involved, really involved in 40 Days for Life, I'd never really considered fasting from anything, but I, I was reading in the Bible a little bit about fasting, and it said that, you know, there are some demons that cannot be removed except through fasting. And so, you know, we've seen some amazing things happen, you know, during fast and um, and so we, you know, that's a, that is a, that's a critical part of the 40 Days for Life movement, but We've had over 500 local campaigns, you know, different cities across the United States where people go and they stand prayerfully and peacefully outside of abortion clinics. There's no graphic images. There's no shouting. Um, it's just really bringing the love and peace of Christ out to the sidewalks to change hearts and to change minds. And we've seen um, almost 8,000 babies saved from abortion. And, you know, and we, we, we think about, okay, babies being saved from abortion. Okay. We think about pregnancy centers that have women change their minds. But these, this is not that, this is a different scenario because these women are not considering abortion. These women have appointments scheduled to take the lives of their children. And at that very last minute, they, because someone was out there praying for them and reaching out to them in love, they changed their mind, and that is incredible. Now, I wonder if I could ask you about your experience of the church and, and really rejection that you have experienced in the church, both in your career at Planned Parenthood when you still were at least formally, I think, a church member and a Christian, and then in other settings when you've left the, the clinic. I mean, I was raised in the church, so I, I believe wholeheartedly that I needed to be in church. And I started going to a church in my community with my husband. And once they found out that I worked at Planned Parenthood, they came to me and told me that um, you know, I would I would not be I would not be able to join the church and that I probably wouldn't fit in there. And at the time I was really angry because of course I, I believed that what I was doing was the right thing and um, but now looking back on it, um, it's very saddening to me because that is completely their right to say, we don't want you to be a member of this church. But what they failed to do was minister to me in any way. You know, they failed to, you know, instead of just coming to me and saying, you know, you can't be a member of this church, I think a better way would have been for them to come to me and say, you know what? We would really like to get you plugged into some women's groups, some women's ministries. We'd like to put some people around you, you know, surround you with love. And, you know, there were reasons that I began to work in the abortion industry, and one of them was my own abortion. And, you know, who knows how my life would have turned out differently if, you know, that that church would have, you know, surrounded me with people who 
you know, were trying to figure out why I was there in the first place and maybe, you know, gave me an opportunity to reach out for healing or, you know, and, and to, to teach me about what Christ says about abortion and, and how it is not of God and how it is against him. I mean, I don't know if my life would have been any different, but I'll never know. Yeah. Because that never happened. You heard a word of condemnation, but no forgiveness and no uh, love and grace. And that's not the right. gospel. And no, 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 no even call for teaching, right? I mean, and that's what we should be doing in the church is teaching people about Christ who, you know, have fallen away from him or, you know, fallen away from, from his love. And that's what we should be doing. We should be ministering and teaching. But that was not what I found at the church where I had attended. And so um, I ended up finding a church that supported abortion. And the pastor there was very supportive of my work at Planned Parenthood. And in fact, a couple on a couple of different occasions had sent women to my office um, who were contemplating an abortion so that I could convince them that it was the right idea. And so I felt, of course, very comfortable there and felt like, you know, yeah, of course I'm a Christian and of course I support abortion. You know, that's, that's the, that's the Christ-like thing to do. And, you know, I had just warped my thinking so much um, and had justified and rationalized so much of my beliefs and tried to tie it into how I had been raised as a Christian. And so it was really interesting, though, whenever I left, whenever I did become pro-life and, and it kind of, you know, came out publicly, um, I was asked by the pastor and the vestry, um, which is the you know, church leadership, to uh, not come back and that I would not be welcome there. And so I, I didn't, you know, you don't want to go somewhere you're unwelcome. So um, I, I didn't, but that was really heartbreaking for me. And it wasn't just that I left a job. You know, I left a job. I left my church family. I left all of my friends behind who worked there. And so it was really, I mean, my life was really turned upside down in, in a matter of just a couple of weeks. Mm. So you had this rejection coming at you, as it were, from the pro-life side and the pro-choice side in the church. Right. And uh, mm. that that maybe is a lesson for all of us uh, who are listening in this conversation to, to take on board. When we talk and minister and relate to people who either are in the throes of an abortion decision or who have had an abortion, uh, that we do it with, with, let's say, sensitivity and the love of Christ and not just with judgment and condemnation from whatever point of view we're coming from. But I wonder if you yeah. could, if you could say a word, Abby, to those people. Maybe some of them are listening now, uh, who are Christians. They would, they would be certainly, uh, faithful churchgoers, maybe even consider themselves devout, but who are pro-choice and who believe that their Christian faith leads them to support abortion and works like Planned Parenthood. As someone who's been on both sides of this divide, could you just speak to those people right now and give them a word of counsel from your own experience? Sure. Um, you know, I certainly believe that. I remember thinking, you know, how could any Christian send a woman, you know, to a place that would be unsafe to have an abortion? But you see, it, it has to, we have to rewind and, and go back because, you know, as Christians, we are to be setting an example for people, for couples, for women, for men, um, you know, and I often hear the, the 
phrase, you know, well, how many, how many unwanted children have been adopted? Well, we actually have to go back before that even takes place. You know, we have to be teaching people about God's Word, and God's Word is very clear that sexual relations are to be between a man and woman, between um, a husband and wife. And if you are following God's law on that, then you're not going to find yourself in a situation where an abortion would be something on the forefront of your mind. And God's Word is also very clear about the killing of the innocent, and there is no one more innocent than the unborn. And so, you know, I encourage people to just read what the Bible says. Don't try to interpret what it says. Just read it and look at the scriptures. And, I mean, one of the commandments, do not kill. If if a child in the womb is not living, then what is it? There's only two states of being. You're either living or you're dead. And the children in the womb are certainly not dead. They are alive. They are living. And so to take their life goes against the commandments of Christ. And, you know, I remember being someone who, you know, I mean, I went to a church that would very liberally interpret the Bible, and looking back, I think, oh my gosh, how can they even have believed that that was what God was saying? And so I just encourage people to seek wise counsel from your pastor and spend a lot of time in prayer if that's you know, something that's really you're just confused about. We, Planned Parenthood has really deceived the American public. They have, uh, well, they've deceived us worldwide into believing that abortion is, is the most merciful thing for a child who's unwanted. But people need to hear this. There is no child that is unwanted. Every child is wanted and by someone, and every child is wanted by God. And, and every child has a purpose that has already been designed and in place by Christ. And abortion is never part of that design. So, you know, I just, I just really encourage people to seek counsel and to spend a lot of time in prayer and, and just time alone and, and really, you know, praying over, over these, these thoughts that may be in your head. And, um, and people certainly, if they have questions, they can email me, um, my email is abby, A-B-B-Y, at abbyjohnson.org, and I'd be happy to discuss, you know, any of this with them. Wonderful. We're almost out of time, but for just a moment, can you tell us about the ministry that you have founded entitled, And Then There Were None? Yeah, we are a ministry who helps abortion clinic workers um, leave their clinics. Um, you know, these are, are women and men who have had some sort of experience inside the clinic where they are now against abortion, but they feel trapped. Um, they don't know how to leave. A lot of these people are single parents. Um, you know, they have children to feed and rent to pay, and they need assistance. And so we're there to help them any way that we can. Um, we help with financial uh, with finances through that transition where they're looking for another job. We do help them uh, with job leads. We help them emotionally, financially. We also help them with any legal issues that they may have, um, things that they've seen or experienced inside the clinic that were illegal or something that they were a part of that they shouldn't have been. We have attorneys across the country that work for them and represent them at no cost. Um, Since starting in June of last year, 2012, We've had 79 abortion clinic workers leave the industry and come into our ministry and are now defending human life. Fantastic. Could you tell us once again your contact information? 
Sure. And the website for the ministry is www.attwn.org, like in and there were none.org. Um, and my contact information, my website is abbyjohnson.org, and my email is abby at abbyjohnson.org. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Abby Johnson. She is the author of Unplanned. The Dramatic True Story of a Former Planned Parenthood Leader's Eye-Opening Journey Across the Lifeline. Abby, thank you so much for your story, for your life, for your courage, and for sharing that with our listeners today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.